1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was. We started the week reminiscing about Mel Lastman with the Zoomer squad. The legendary former North York and Toronto mayor died last weekend at the age of 88, prompting many to tell their stories about knowing and meeting Mel, including Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media.
2: I actually have memories of Mel. I knew Mel and worked with Mel because when I was in the ad agency business, Bad Boy was a client of ours and uh, worked closely with him. But I was right on the cusp of him beginning to exit from the day to day at Bad Boy and get into politics, initially running for controller in North York. And we did some of his election literature and we did some of the literature during his first run for mayor. And then as he got more, time in that world we didn't uh, I didn't you know work with him as much but I remember him very very well he was a wonderful client he was a very personable he was surprisingly uh, in my experience with him low key very flamboyant visually you know he was a promoter but he was um, he was uh, more of a laid back in his his style let's say in a meeting very good at cutting through all the uh, noise and getting to the bottom line uh, of what you know works and what doesn't work.
3: Who came up with nobody? Well, this is interesting
2: because the original slogan I think they uh, changed. The slogan that we had was nobody beats bad boy, and uh, he developed that himself. And we just expressed that in radio: nobody beats bad boy. Beep beep beep. There's some sound effects, and then nobody be-, uh, came later. And I think that was after he had left the day-to-day, and, you know, his kids were starting to get involved in the business, and I think that's when they changed it. But the origin was nobody beats Bad Boy.
3: Uh, Peter, did you ever cover Mel?
4: I think, like I, I was thinking, planning for this uh, segment, that you know he probably would have been cancelled in this day and age because some of the things he said were
3: oh god, bordered <laughs> on. Uh,
4: <laughs> you know, he he made some jokes about um, being you know, boiled in
3: oil in Africa exactly, or something,
4: and uh, so so he probably would. But but you know, it didn't seem to dent his popularity back then. He 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 won you know handily in North York, and then equally handily in in Toronto, and. Um, you know, like he he was he was known for his gaffes and his you know his over the top uh, appearances. But it, but but I think he he sort of uh, he sort of made um, the running of a city or the running of a North York previously. He made that like like you would run a business, and and that that was somewhat revolutionary back then. And um, you know he brought sort of business practices to City Hall, and, and I think he he. He was one of the first, you know, um, Hazel McCallion did the same in Mississauga. And it was sort of like, uh, okay, we're not going to run this, like, um, you know, it, it's not it's not going to be a trough for public interest. It, it's going to be a well-run business. And, and he certainly, uh, you know, he he was a big part of that revolution.
3: Bill, I don't know, you're a Maritimer. I've... No, but not
5: in those days. Oh. Uh, I remember, uh, oh, bad boy, uh, furniture. I was living in Hamilton uh, at that time, and I can remember traveling with my mother all the way to, uh, Toronto to his, uh, store. And later when I was working in, uh, Kitchener, uh, still, uh, it was still a, a place to go. And I, I do have one memory as I guess I was probably about, uh, uh, 12 or 13 actually seeing him in the, in the store and, and urging my mother to take me up so I could meet him. But she, uh, uh, she thought he looked busy, and I said, and I was really disappointed we <laughs> left the store that I didn't get a chance to to uh, meet him. And then I was in Toronto at meetings when he called in uh, the Army to clear the rain. <laughs> I to remember clear that. No, I was living in Kitchener at that time. We knew what snow was, and here he was calling out the, the Army, and then we were walking around downtown and thought there was nothing to it at all. <laughs> those, those are my memories of Mel Lassman.
1: Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Fight Back's Monday, Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. It's not just a blip caused by the pandemic. Food prices have gone up a lot in the past year. And according to the latest Canada Food Price Report, are set to increase another five to seven percent next year. That's the biggest increase in years, prompting the report's authors to declare that the era of cheap food is over. Libby was joined by a panel of experts to discuss the concerning trend Chef Rose Reisman is a cookbook author and caterer. Dr. Richard Barrichello is a professor of food and resource economics at the University of British Columbia. And Dr. Stuart Smythe is agri-food innovation and sustainability enhancement chair at the University of Saskatchewan. He is also co-author of the 2022 Canada Food Price Report.
6: You know what, I feel like, a bit like the Grinch bringing bad news right before Christmas, but with food prices going up about six hundred dollars last year and estimated to be another nine hundred plus coming in the coming year, that's a
3: that's for a 10% family of four
6: rise over two years.
3: What are the long-term causes of that? I think there's
6: a, a variety of factors. Libby, we've we've still got impacts from COVID both in in terms of production and. Transportation of food—we, we import a, a, lot of food from, the southern U.S. in the winter time, and you know vaccinations and vaccination mandates are making cross-border transportation of of those products increasingly problematic. In, inflation's on the rise, and you know the U.S. is saying that inflation might hit seven percent uh, for November, so all of those things are, are going to contribute to higher food prices in Canada.
3: Uh, Rick Barrichello, what's what's your take on the, uh, the long-term, again, the long-term on all of this?
7: I also would note that um, this past year, I mean, if you look at the food component of the Consumer Price Index in Canada, it went up by 3.8%. And last year, we forecast... Um, uh, Three to five percent increase in food prices. So, it turns out that um, our prediction, our range was a bit broad, but but we were within the range, and but it, uh, it's kind of at the lower end of the range. So this year, the the, the forecast would be for somewhat higher because as as we all know, food um, inflation has moved up, um, and it's and these prices internationally have also moved up. Um, but before you want to say this is really a long-term increase, I would caution you that these, these prices move a lot. And, um, I would, I would expect that inflation, uh, as many others are, are predicting, would be, um, peaking in 2022 and then, and then coming, uh, come back down somewhat. And I think on food prices, these international prices, which influence us a fair bit, um, they're so hard to predict, and they're all sets of unique circumstances. And I wouldn't want to hazard a guess as to what that would be um,
8: beyond this year.
3: Rose, do you think people change their eating habits?
8: Um, absolutely. I, I think maybe for a special occasion they'll go and they'll still buy the meat that they love. But um, you know, my concern, Libby, is is health with all of this going on now that people see costs go up and people start buying cheaper foods at times that can be less nutritious. Uh, in terms of meat I think it's definitely turned people towards a more plant-based diet. I think if you look at the statistics I don't have them in front of me but plant-based diets have gone up exorbitantly. It's unbelievable how many people are buying those plant-based products which are still not inexpensive either but we are turning more towards beans and grains and you know making now our meat loaves out of meat and grains. So we're definitely seeing that coming in and I can see it every newsletter i get of recipes so much more of a plant-based diet and then incorporating somewhat some meat but not 100 percent. well that isn't that healthier absolutely so that is if people will do it for sure um but as i say i think that buying meat today uh, they're now you know cutting it back to make it once a week as opposed to having it three or four times which is healthier
1: Chef Rose Reisman, cookbook author and caterer, Dr. Richard Barrichello, Professor of Food and Resource Economics at the University of British Columbia, and Dr. Stuart Smythe, Agri-Food Innovation and Sustainability Enhancement Chair at the University of Saskatchewan and co-author of the 2022 Canada Food Price Report. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the tidal wave that is the Omicron variant.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zuma Radio.
1: Welcome back. Just as we're heading into the holidays, the Omicron variant began exploding this past week. Epidemiologists project numbers are doubling every two days, which has already made it the dominant variant in short order. Canada's chief medical officer, Dr. Theresa Tam, has warned that we are only days or a week behind the UK, where Prime Minister Boris Johnson describes the situation as a tidal wave. Scientists are now rethinking their initial impression that the new strain may be more contagious but less virulent. In fact, epidemiologist Dr. Jeff Kwong posted on social media he would like to retract any comments he made suggesting Omicron may cause less severe disease. Libby spoke with Dr. Kwong on Tuesday.
9: I think to keep in mind is that the population in South Africa is very different from Ontario. Um, you know, they are much younger and a lot of them, um, you know, people living in South Africa have had COVID infection. And then also some of them have also been vaccinated. So I think, you know, the reason they're seeing um, milder infection is because a lot of them have kind of had, you know, multiple exposures to the virus already, whether through infection or uh,
3: vaccination. Do you understand the the difference uh, in exposure uh, with infection or vaccination because we're being told that even people who've had COVID should have uh, their shots as well.
9: Yeah the reason is that you know with the vaccine we know how much you know the dose that each person's getting versus if you got infection we don't know if you had a, a mild infection where you had no symptoms or if you had a more severe infection uh, we had a lot of symptoms. We think the antibodies and the, the immune response is stronger if you have a more significant uh, infection. So that's the thing. It's like if we tell someone, oh, if you've had an infection, if you don't get the vaccine, we don't know how well protected they are. Um, so, I, I mean, they're saying that if you have infection and vaccine, that's probably best. Not to say that you should go out and <laughs> right. get back, uh, in, you know infected deliberately. But if you did, you should still get the vaccine is the bottom line.
3: We have a very high proportion of people who've been vaccinated, double vaccinated, uh, but I guess not enough for herd immunity? Well, the
9: issue is with Omicron, we actually need three doses. And that's kind of been a bit of a game changer. Um, The data out of the UK suggests that with two doses, you get only about 40% protection against infection. And we don't know exactly how well two doses protect against hospitalization or death. We think, you know, based on um, the uh, serological studies, like the neutralization studies where we use um, antibodies from um, people who have been vaccinated, we think that it might be, you know, extrapolating from that data might be 80%, uh, you know, if we're optimistic, maybe 90%, but we just don't know for sure. So that's why, you know, the UK and, and everywhere else, they're, they're you know, scrambling to get as many third doses into people as possible. Uh, because then at least it will boost um, the protection against Omicron, uh, you know, to be higher. So in the UK, they found that it's about 75% effective.
3: That's with the third shot. That's right. We also recently heard about the first death from Omicron. Uh, What did you learn from that?
9: The hospitalizations and deaths are what we call lagging indicators, right? It takes a while from the time that you get infected to get sick enough. Uh, to need hospital care, and so, the the challenge is that with how fast um, it's spreading, how quickly it can spread. Um, you know, many more people have already been infected, and then down the road, like a week or two later, then you're going to see lots more people needing hospitalization.
3: And Dr. Kwong, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, I think. You know, I, I don't think
9: it's all doom and gloom because we've learned so much in the past, you know, almost two years. And there's like lots of things that we each as individuals can do uh, to help keep ourselves and our you know family and friends safe. So I, it's just now it's a matter of, of, you know, doing those things. And so I know it's really hard, the holidays we all want to gather, um, but I think we just need to. Um, you know, be smart about it. If we're going to do that, then, um, you know, just try to ensure that as many people who are gathering have the third doses, um, you know, and, and use the rapid tests if you are going to gather, have good ventilation and do all these things uh, to have a uh, safe holiday.
1: Dr. Jeff Kwong, an epidemiologist and professor at the University of Toronto's Dalla Lana School of Public Health. This is Zoomer Radio's best of fight back. I'm Jane Brown. Lately, we seem to be hearing announcements about new nursing home builds every other day. According to a new Leger poll conducted on behalf of Advantage Ontario, 76% of respondents say they'd like to see more not for profit nursing homes built in Ontario and as many as 81% of respondents say they are concerned about the number of for-profit homes. Meantime, restrictions for visitors in long-term care have been ramped up in the face of the new, more transmissible Omicron variant. Joining Libby on Tuesday to discuss, Lisa Levin, CEO of Advantage Ontario, who also provided some breaking news. Have a listen. I'm
10: nervous. I'm nervous about this uh, this new variant. Uh,
3: I don't blame you. We're hearing, and, and the evidence is just rolling in, that with Omicron, really you need three shots to be protected. And we know that um, a lot of nursing home residents, would you say that most of them, or almost all, have had their third shots?
10: Yes, most nursing home residents have had their third shot. However, uh, the vaccine mandate for staff is that staff must have two um, COVID-19 shots and that is no longer enough. And the government needs to make that change and they need to require um, within the proper timeframes, of course, as indicated by, um, you know, the medical officers of health that all staff need to have three vaccinations. And that is not something that currently is a requirement and is concerning to us. We, we really need government to move forward and require that staff have to have three vaccinations by whatever date seems to make sense, given when they would have received their, their different shots. And the other thing we're starting to hear about is perhaps it would be a good idea to give long-term care home residents four doses, like a fourth dose, which might seem like a lot. Uh, you know, my first reaction was, really? Really? But we're hearing that the science table has recommended it for immunocompromised, and we do really? know that evidence. Yeah, just, I didn't hear um, that. They just announced it's, it's. Libby, it's very hard to keep up with this stuff, and this is all I do. And so, um, yeah, they, that that has just been put forward, and so we know that seniors have um, a harder time sort of keeping their immunity. So I'm I'm thinking that the next step would be to give them all four shots in long-term care because they're the ones that. Um, get really, really sick and and pass
3: away from COVID. Anything else, I mean, with regard to Omicron that you'd like to see?
10: You know, we want to see more testing going into the homes. We unfortunately need to start restricting visitors coming into the homes during the holiday season, which is the last thing anybody wants. But I think even more than that, the last thing people want is is to see widespread death in long-term care again. So it's that balance between, you know, uh, keeping people safe and keeping people socially, um, you know, stimulated, and and making sure that they can still see their families. It's a really tough situation for everyone, and I think everyone is shuddering just thinking about this this Omicron heading our way. And a lot of people are in denial and still walking around without masks and going to large gatherings. But we need to we as, as hard as it is, we need to realize that that this is here, this is coming. And it's, it's pretty intense.
3: What would you like to leave us with on uh, the looming Omicron and the long-term care sector?
10: Um, I guess what I would just say is that um, we are looking to government to provide leadership, which we expect we're going to hear something soon, and to keep listening to the sector and the public and to protect people in long-term care. Um, I'm worried we're going, to, we're going to lose staff if a lot of people get sick. And we need to think about how, how to backfill that because homes don't have the capacity to just find staff. And so we really need to figure out how to prioritize it. And um, I just would ask everyone to, you know, stay as safe as they can and limit their gatherings um, this holiday season for the sake of, of the rest of, of society. And I also I also want to just give a big shout out to the amazing, amazing frontline healthcare workers and management out there who have worked So hard through this entire pandemic who must be feeling even more disheartened than the rest of us. We appreciate you and we really value the work that you do.
1: Lisa Levin, CEO of Advantage Ontario. I'm Jane Brown and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Dan in Brampton phoned about getting a third shot booster.
5: I just want to let you know, uh, this morning I went to one, I guess, Meta Plus, which is in Brampton, a drugstore. And I logged in at 1130 and I have an appointment for 230 today for my third shot. Good for you. Just, just like that, real easy.
1: Cheryl from Brampton phoned about booking a booster shot on the day eligibility widened to include all of those 50 plus
10: while the news was on just before you came on the air I was in the website I wasn't even aware there was a problem because I didn't even I knew I wasn't going to try first thing in the morning anyways I got through and it wasn't for myself because I've already got my booster last Thursday night for someone else that's a little bit younger they they're in that 50 age group and uh they're booked so patience is a virtue
0: and now fight back's knockout call of the week
1: there were a lot of great calls this week but the winner of the fight back knockout call of the week is clay in ajax who phoned about the high cost of food and how to get around it
8: uh, Sobeys
4: have their canned vegetables on. A lot of people can't afford the fresh fruits, the vegetables now, but they've got their canned vegetables on for 88 cents. Maybe you can't go wrong there. I'm on a fixed income, my wife and I, so like I said, I read my flyers. Uh, you know, you buy a 10-pound bag of potatoes someplace for 5.99, or you can go to uh, Giant Tiger this week for a dollar 97 for the new white-washed potatoes. But you know, when you're when you're out of potatoes at
3: Giant Tiger, <laughs> who yep. knew?
4: Yeah, Giant Tiger, dollar 97 for a 10-pound bag of uh, new white potatoes washed. Wow, and the same thing at the No Frills is five ninety nine. All my life, my mom was a single mother, so we we do the value of a dollar at an early age.
1: 3679636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock and Zeeb Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Nimer.